three, two, one. Thanks for joining us this week on Kentucky Caliber. We're going to be talking about elections and how they actually work. You know, it's kind of surprising, unless you're a a history major or political science major, there's not a lot of classes or coursework or studies that specifically focus on the process of elections itself and how they actually work, how votes are actually uh, tabulated, counted, and then translated into results. Uh, for the outcome of an election in question. That's not something that you that a lot of people actually encounter. It's not something that's widely taught at the high school level and unfortunately it's really not taught that frequently at the uh, the college or the undergraduate level either. And so what that means is it translates into a sort of a knowledge gap on the part of a lot of voters and that makes it um, easier for folks who repeat and echo uh, false claims of voter fraud to make their message heard or to convince people that that is in fact going on when it's not. The the fact is voter fraud is actually quite rare uh, in the United States and it's also extremely difficult to accomplish. It's very difficult even for one individual to get away with uh, voting fraud. It would be a monumental challenge requiring enormous resources for a group to try to accomplish voter fraud at scale, which means uh, in numbers larger than just one person. So it would be very, very difficult uh, for that to happen. And the reason why it's so difficult uh, for that to happen is the nature of the voting systems themselves. So that's sort of why I wanted to focus on that this week. There's a lot, unfortunately, there's a lot of disinformation and misinformation being put out in 2022. And I'll just give you some examples here, and you can listen to these if you want to. Um, there's a, I can't, I don't remember if it's a podcast or it's a radio broadcast. There's one in, from Louisiana called the Ross Report that has systematically claimed, uh, falsely claimed, that there's going to be vote uh, cheating. Not even that there has been voting, but this particular individual uh, wants wants you to think that there will be voting that hasn't even happened yet. Uh, Greenville, South Carolina, there's Charlie James on on their radio station 106.3 that has uh, repeated false claims that... um, there's election fraud both in the uh, the previous election in 2020 at the federal level and those that are upcoming. Uh, of course, Steve Bannon continues to make those claims who used to work for President, former President Trump and President Trump himself frequently makes those uh, false and dishonest claims about uh, election fraud, which did not happen uh, in 2020 as he claimed. And recently, um, Fox News, which is a, a, a major news outlet here in the United States, has systematically uh, broadcast false uh, statements about elections. They're actually being sued for over a billion, I think it's a $1.6 billion lawsuit by Dominion Voting, which is a company that supplies voting machines to quite a few, I think over like 25 or 28 states uh, in the U.S. that supplies their voting machines. They're actually suing Fox News for intentionally publishing false information 
And that case has already passed uh, its first court challenge as a judge in Maryland ruled that, the, that, in fact, Dominion has presented enough evidence, substantial and credible evidence, against Fox for lying that the case can proceed. So we'll, it'll be interesting to see how that case turns out. I don't know what the, what the result is going to be. Um, maybe the Dominion wins, maybe they don't. Uh, but the fact that a judge has already uh, ruled that they have presented sufficient evidence to proceed with the case is itself pretty significant. But the way, you know, the Constitution, when we talk about the way elections actually work, you know, the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, requires that we have elections. Uh, you know, House of Representatives members have to be elected every two years, senators every six years, and the president every four years. And so, of course, that is specified and is a requirement, a legal requirement, that is uh, codified by the Constitution. But it doesn't say, if you'll read the Constitution, it doesn't say exactly how all of that's supposed to happen. So how are we supposed to, to do all of that? What is the machinery through which these elections will take place and the votes are counted? And what is the process for all of that? The Constitution doesn't say. Well, that's because it's one of those portions of the law and portions of our, of our legal system that in large part is left up to the state. So we have 50 states, and so we have a lot of different systems that are decided at the state level for just exactly how elections will be carried out. In other words, they can decide, the states can decide, you know, which, how to design the congressional districts. So how do we apportion, because we're going to have members of Congress, they have to represent a district. Well, the Constitution doesn't say anything about um, what those districts should look like. So the states, state legislators in the states decide that. They, they draw up the districts and they hold those elections. Local, um, they decide where, at the, at the local level, your, your precincts will, where the voting, where the ballots will be collected. In other words, where you go to vote. A lot of times we go to a high school or an elementary school because they'll close for the day when it's election day. And that will be the place where the voting machines are, are held and folks can go and cast their ballot. And then those are tabulated by election workers at the county level and then funneled up to the state level for offices that are statewide and those are counted and then those results are published and then you know that that's where you get your winner and loser for each election and that's how we get you know we know who won which election so in addition to the federal elections there's also a lot of state and local elections that that go on um, at the same time sometimes you can have out of cycle uh, elections like we do here in kentucky we don't do um for example, the governor's race and our state constitutional officers will be next year, uh, 2023, whereas the federal elections are this year uh, in 2022. So for folks in Kentucky and other states, I think there's not many, but some do that too. So there can be both state and federal elections going on at the same time, or there could be just instances where states are running their elections and, and having those. And so the process by which all of that happens, there's an entire machinery there's a process by which um, elections actually happen. And when I'm talking about an election, I want to make sure that we distinguish that from the campaign. The campaign is the part where candidates go out and try to convince voters to vote for them or to vote against somebody else. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the actual infrastructure of the election itself. How ballots are cast, how they are counted, and how those results become known to the public. And so every state has its own laws and its own rules governing how that is done. And there are, of course, federal laws and federal 
regulations governing how that has to happen as well. And so that should tell you right away, because there's so many different rules, regulations, and laws at you know 50 states and each one has their own way of doing it, there is no one method that you could use to get away with uh, a fraudulent attempt in every state. Each ballot looks different. Each one has a different physical appearance. They have different barcodes or different markers. Um, they have different ways of, uh, for those that are doing an in-person and in a paper ballot, whether you fill out, fill in a circle or draw an arrow or, or select a, hit a, push a button and there'll be electronic machines that tabulate them. There's a lot of different ways that all of that happens. And so the idea that you could just with ease go out there and, excuse me, that you could just go out there and cheat or, or make up a fraudulent ballot or, or have some way to get a whole bunch of votes uh, for yourself or someone else that weren't really cast um, is, is not true. It's not, it's very difficult to do. It's extremely hard, and that's one of the reasons. One of the most, and I want to focus just a little bit on one specific uh, piece of that election infrastructure, and that is the um, mail-in ballots, because that received a lot of attention in 2020. Of course, the reason it received so much attention is because there were false claims uh, of fraud, specifically with the mail-in ballots. And I I want to state up front, and I think I mentioned this in a, a previous show, the the Legal folks, the um, or law enforcement, whether at the state and, and the federal level, so either the state attorney generals uh, or the Department of Justice at the federal level, they take allegations of uh, voting fraud very seriously, and they spend quite a bit of time and, and effort and resource investigating each one of those claims that are made. And in the case of 2020, in each and every instance, they were you know exhaustively investigated by talking to eyewitnesses, reviewing audiovisual evidence and doing their normal procedure for deciding and determining whether or not a, a claim is substantiated or, ins- or unsubstantiated, what they found in every single case is that they were not substantiated and that there was no systematic voter fraud. You know, there's no perfect election. There's never going to be. So in any election, there may be a very small number of things that are the irregularities that happen. And that could be uh, and I'll give you an example of what I mean by regularity since we're talking about, uh, I mentioned uh, mail-in ballots. So we've been doing mail-in ballots for a long time. It's been around since the Civil War. So it's not new. Uh, there's nothing unusual about it. It's a long-established uh, tradition within the United States to send a, a, ma- a ballot by mail. To do that, some states will automatically send out um, ballots to their registered voters. I think Oregon, Washington, Utah, Colorado, and Hawaii are some that, that do that automatically. Most other states, though, if you want to vote that way, you have to request a ballot. So that means that it's, they're not going to send it to you until an election official receives your request, confirms that you are an eligible voter for that state, and then physically sends you the ballot uh, for you to fill out, and then you mail it back to the election officials, who then again verify its receipt, usually by matching a signature on the outside of the envelope, uh, or by matching the actual form or envelope itself. You know, not just the ballots have to be correct, but it has to be mailed back, in most cases, in the same um, envelope that was issued by the election official. And the reason they do that is so that they can spot fraud attempts. And what actually ends up happening in the case of mail-in ballots is actually interesting. 
the the most common irregularity amongst uh, mail-in ballots is that actual registered valid voters have their ballots denied because they were in a hurry and they didn't and when they signed it they were in a hurry so the signature doesn't look exactly the same or it got smudged when it was sent through the mail and now they have a hard time matching the signature on the outside but they were legitimate registered eligible voters in that state and and they had their votes not counted uh, simply because of uh, something like I just mentioned so that is actually the most common type of irregularity when it comes to mail-in voting um, not that uh, not that there are votes that are showing up from people who aren't eligible that is actually exceptionally rare across every state because of the reasons I just mentioned it's very difficult to duplicate or go through the process even for just one individual to duplicate a ballot uh, on someone else's behalf if you wanted to create a fake ballot you would need quite a lot of equipment uh, to carry that out and if you want to do it at scale you would need even more resources so it, it, it's just an extremely high bar uh, not to mention those are federal and state crimes usually punishable by five years in prison for each count so that means if you sent in three fake ballots just three you could face five years in prison for each ballot because each one represents a count of fraud that you can be punished for under the law so what that means is it's the incentive structure is strongly stacked against anyone who is thinking about doing that. Why would you risk five years in prison for one vote? One. I'm not talking about hundreds of votes or thousands. Just one. Just one vote. Just one ballot that's falsely filled out can get you five years in prison. And so this is another reason why it's, it's exceptionally rare. It's very hard to do. The punishment is very severe. And as a consequence, we don't see very much of it. It's, it's very rare that it happens. There are a few cases here and there. And there were, you know, I think three or four cases where there was one individual who mailed in a, a fraudulent ballot and they got caught. And now their case is, you know, working its way through the court system. But emphasize, I want to emphasize, you know, I don't mean three or four hundred or thousand. I mean three or four as in one, two, three, four. So that is not nearly enough to even come close to changing the actual outcome of an election. So you go to uh, the polls in person and vote. You have to show an ID uh, in most places. And you have to be verified as a eligible voter in most states in order to request a, a mail-in ballot and then that ballot gets checked again upon receipt. So the systems that are in place even though each state does it a little differently and their ballots may look they may not look the same like the ballot from Kentucky for a, an absentee ballot which is the legal term or the official term for someone who is not voting in person that's an absentee ballot. So if you took one from Kentucky it might not look the same as one from Kansas or Colorado, or New York, or wherever. Um, so these these states would look. They they have the they do they do their own ballots and they look different. They have a different physical appearance and there's different ways that election officials can uh, verify that they're authentic, that they were actually mailed by the state uh, and not uh, by someone who was out there just trying to uh, to fabricate those in order to get votes for their candidate. In the entire history of the United States, well over 200 years that we've been doing elections and since the Civil War, that we've been doing uh, you know, mail-in ballots or, or, or forms that you can send by mail or postage, there has never been a single election ever that was changed or altered by fraudulent attempts. 
In other words, there has never been a single election where the outcome was changed because someone either sent a fraudulent ballot or attempted to send more than one uh, fraudulent ballots. Those claims are made and have been repeated about 2020, and one and all of those claims are false. They have been fabricated, and they're repeated. You know, I can't get inside someone else's head, so I don't know for 100% certainty why folks are doing, you know, the things that they're doing. But it's not hard to take an educated guess, and the, the reason why is because it's a sensational claim. Right. I mean, you're you're claiming that there was, you know, fraud in the election. You're claiming that it's that it's happened and going to happen again. That is a sensational claim that gets a lot of attention. And so things that get a lot of attention generate more listeners, more viewers, more clicks on the Internet. And so you increase your audience and your market share. You can that way. And then you can charge advertisers more for your program because that's how a lot of programs work. If you if you have a radio program, the number of listeners you have determines how much your ad space is worth. So if you want to sell 30 seconds worth of commercials or, or 60 seconds worth, the companies that buy that will pay more to people who have a larger audience. So there's an incentive for folks who run, I'll just stay with radio for a moment, for folks who do radio broadcasts, there's an incentive for them to try to get as many listeners as possible because it's worth more money. So that's a very simple and straightforward reason for folks to repeat the already uh, discredited claims about voter fraud is because it gets them more listeners and that makes them more money. And I think I think that's just my opinion. I think that's why a lot of people are doing it, and they're doing it on a broad scale. And unfortunately, you know, it's it's still resonating with some portions of the electorate, um, especially the ma- the mail-in portions, because that was the most uh, widely repeated uh, fraudulent false claims of fraud that that supposedly happened in 2020, but actually did not. And so mail-in ballots, um, they're even more difficult to get than mailing in person, and the bar for authentication is actually even higher. So they're, even, they're actually even more secure than voting in person. And voting in person is pretty secure. When you go, you go there, you have to show a form of ID. The votes are then, the ballots, if you're doing a paper ballot, are tabulated and kept there by the election officials and then are counted. Or if you have electronic uh, machines that are that are tabulating it electronically, like we have those here in Kentucky. You know, you go in, you tap, uh, you, you pick the candidates that you want to vote for, or you vote a party slate, and you tap it on the computer screen, and the computer automatically records it, and then it's sent to the headquarters or to the the, the uh, processing, the clearinghouse for the state where they're all tabulated together. And different states do that differently as well. Usually, the Secretary of State's office at your state level is responsible for the mechanics of elections and the nuts and bolts of you know what the ballots look like when they get sent out, how long uh, you can request one before an election, how, what days you have to vote, can you vote early, you know all of those types of questions, and, and also state boards of elections uh, make those kind of decisions as well. Uh, it used to be the case here in Kentucky that the Secretary of State was a voting member of the state board of elections, which meant they could make policy when it comes to voting, but uh, in 2019, the state legislator changed that. They took that vote away from the state legislator, so now in Kentucky, it's the state board of elections that determines the the, the rules and regulations and how the, the nuts and bolts of the elections are going to go, and other states ha- have done that. Well, some states, you know, the Secretary of State actually has a, a policy vote, and in some states they don't. Um, it's just up to the individual states on, on what they want to do, but what it all means is 
every year, you know, every time there is an election held, if there are irregularities or if there are fraud attempts or actual fraud cases that are found, those are very much known to both the legislators and the, the folks that run the elections at the county or state or federal level. And so we learn from that. And so when we see something that happened in the previous election, we can take action to try to correct it. And some states have done that and continue to do that. If we see a gap or a problem or shortfall, for example, if we tried early voting once and the turnout went up and the state says, okay, this is a good thing, we want to continue doing that, we can, the state can pass a law that says, okay, we want early voting to continue, and uh, that's, that's the way it'll be. Or states may say that they, they, they didn't like early voting and that they're not going to do away with it. Uh, the point is, after every election, there's a review and there's lessons learned, and then there's an opportunity for legislators and those who make the rules, such as state boards of election, to make changes in order to fix problems that showed up in the last election. And so that means even if you figured out a way to, to, to mail in a fraudulent ballot or to cheat uh, and you didn't get uh, prosecuted for it, if that is, you know, once that's known to the election system, the system will change so that that particular way can't be used again. Um, which just which should tell you that you should have a pretty high confidence in the election system itself because it's run every year by officials who receive training and funding and then those the processes are followed and then the votes are counted and that's the outcome. So there's a process in place, there's a system in place, there's another system in place to investigate any irregularities or fraud. And what it adds up to is you should have a very high degree of confidence in the system itself. You may not have a high degree of confidence in candidates. You may not have a very high degree of confidence in a political party. That's a separate issue. You know, if you want to like conservatives and dislike liberals, or if you want to like liberals and dislike conservatives, if you want to like one candidate for office and dislike another, that's a completely separate issue. That's a campaign issue. Not an election issue, specifically what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the machinery of how votes get counted and how we know who the winners are. That's, that process is separate from what candidates do when they run commercials or do you know give stump speeches or go out and knock on doors. Those are all campaign issues. And they are governed by, by applicable state and federal laws as well. But the election itself is not run by the candidates. And for obvious reasons, right? I mean, if you're if you're running for office, you can't be in charge of determining the result. I mean, that's an obvious conflict of interest because you're going to say, I won, right? And in fact, we saw that happen in 2020. Former President Donald Trump tried to do that. He tried to say that his opinion was more important than the entire election process in 50 different states and the federal level. So imagine the amount of arrogance it takes for one individual to say that their opinion overrides all 50 states and the thousands and thousands of election officials and state legislators and voters who work to man those systems. I mean, there there can't possibly be a more un-American idea. And I, and I thank my former Vice President Pence for saying this. There couldn't possibly be a more un-American idea than the idea that one person could decide who won the election. And that person, by the way, was in the election itself as a candidate. Um, so that's a clear conflict of interest. And so the votes are counted at the state level. Those are reported. And that's it. 
once you have a, an official winner, either the State Board of Elections or the Secretary of State's office will, will declare the winner. And for state level or federal level offices, that's it. You, you've won or, or you've lost, depending on how the, you know, the vote count, count turns out. Sometimes they're very close. In races that have a, a vote count that turns out to be extremely close, some states will have an automatic recount. So if it's if the vote count is if the totals are closer than a certain like I think one percent in some states, that triggers an automatic recount. So all the election officials will go back, count the ballots a second time, and return those numbers as well. That's not an unusual thing. It, it's it actually happens with some frequency that there are really close elections, and that means that the numbers can come down to you know a handful of votes here and there at the state level, or you know a few thousand at the uh, at the federal level if you know if you're running for uh, congress the senate or the presidency the federal offices you know those can come down to you know a few thousand at the state level and we saw that in 2020 you know two or three recounts were done and the the results did not change so what that tells you is that the system works because the system works the vote counts were were virtually identical there was very very small if any change to the numbers that were reported as the final the final results, and so that proved that also proves you know if you had a, a, a situation where there was a, a recount and the the numbers changed every time there was a recount, well then you then you'd okay now you've got a problem you know if we did two recounts we got two different numbers and then we did a third recount and we got a third different number then you could say, okay, now we have a problem with the process. Something's wrong somewhere in this process where we couldn't possibly be getting a different number each time. But that did not happen in 2020. The vote counts affirmed the original tally in pretty much every single case. The numbers were either identical or really, really close. And any changes were minor and not enough to affect the outcome of the election. In other words, no recount, I can't think of a single one in history where a recount has ever resulted in a candidate that lost being declared the winner. And that's because the process works so well. And it does. And so that's a message that we need to keep. And when I say we, I mean just folks that are interested in, in voting or running campaigns or whether you're just a concerned citizen, we need to keep repeating this and, and educating each other because the fact is that the election systems work really well. And they do so for the reasons that I've stated, that they're constantly reviewed, legislators make changes, each state can do its, can conduct its own elections according to their own rules, using their own ballots or their own machines. And so the idea that just a single group could just across the board uh, fabricate the results of election is, is actually nonsensical. Um, it, it's just, it's not feasible, it doesn't happen, it hasn't happened, and it's not going to happen because the system won't allow it to happen. And, and that's a good thing. And so it's unfortunate that we have folks out there this year on radio and other podcasts who continue to beat the drums that there was fraud and there's going to be more fraud. Um, they're just looking for attention. And they're just looking for attention so they can increase their income. So they're lying to people and they're lying to you if you've listened to them just so they can make money. That's the reason why they're doing it. Um, and it's unfortunate. And, and the corrosive effect that has is that it can undermine the public confidence in the results of the election, the outcome, the actual vote count, not whether or not you thought somebody lied or somebody overstepped their bounds with a, with a, a political ad. That's all campaign stuff. 
the election itself is what I, I wanted to talk about. So people should feel really confident in the election system because it works. And it's it's going to work this year just like it worked in 2022. And I, there, there's going to be, there, there could be some irregularities here and there. There always are. They'll be handled by the election officials or by law enforcement if it's an allegation of fraud. But that's not going to change the outcome of an election, and it has not done so in the past. And so I'll, I'll come back to this theme probably a couple of more times um, as we get closer to the, uh, the actual elections in November, because I expect the, uh, the claims of the false claims of fraud to, to ramp up and continue as we get close to um, those uh, actual elections themselves in November. And most of this, you know, what we're seeing right now, the, the widespread lying about uh, fraud and instances of fraud, most of that stems from not the 2020 election, but the lies that were told about the 2020 election by former President Trump. And so they're imitating uh, his behavior, which is very unfortunate. Um, I personally think you know it, it'll be left up to the Department of Justice to decide whether or not former President Trump committed any actual crimes. I hope that he's prosecuted, but I don't know that he will be, and that's not my decision to make. That's that's up to the Department of Justice. So if they decide not to prosecute, I won't say anything else about it. They've looked at the evidence and they've made their decision. And we as citizens, you know. In order for our system of government to work, we have to have a minimum level of trust in our institutions and in our systems. And I know that every time an institution or system does something that someone doesn't like, or we get an outcome that we don't like, that's used as a reason to not trust that system anymore. But I would caution folks against that line of thinking. Uh, because Just because you got an outcome you didn't like, in one instance, doesn't mean that the system failed. It just means that they ruled in a different way than you were hoping. So I think that's a different a different thing than a system failure or, or a system that doesn't work. Uh, it simply means that you didn't get what you want. And if you think about the way democracy works, and yes, we're a republic, but we also elect our officials through popular vote. So we, we have a, dem a strong democratic element to that republic. Um, Democracy is all about power sharing. Power sharing. No one person or one group or one um, you know, bunch of citizens gets to make all the decisions all the time. You're not going to get your way every time. You're not going to get your way all the time. And so I think some folks sometimes confuse losing a specific battle with, well, the system doesn't work and it's all stacked against me. That, that's not true. Um, that just means you lost this battle. And in democracy, that's the way it goes sometimes. You're going to win some battles politically. You're going to lose some battles politically. Um, but that we live with the results peacefully because that means we're sharing power. with Even though it may be with group people we don't agree with or with a, a point of view we don't agree with, um, there are other ways to make those changes. If you want to get a law changed, then you can support that through the legislative process. Um, that's something that could happen. And there'll be another election. If you didn't like the outcome of this election, well, you know, get motivated, get organized, and um, go out there and, and campaign or, or run for office uh, in the next election. There'll always be one more. Uh, there's not going to be, there's never a last election. There's, there's going to be more in the future. So if you don't like this one, uh, get out there and organize and, and go for the next one. But that's our process. That's our system. That's the election system that we have it will work. It's worked in the past. It's still working. And I want folks to keep in mind that as they go forward in this year, in 2022, you should have a very high degree of confidence 
in your election system because it works. And we'll talk some more about this later in the, in the year as we get closer to November, but that's really all I wanted to talk about today. Thanks for listening, and I hope everyone has a great day. Come on.